Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. One hundred sixty-seven days in space, over thirty-eight hours performing spacewalks, traveling more than six million miles, making hundreds of orbits about the Earth. But how did I get there? This is the making of an ordinary spaceman. I'm Clayton C. Anderson, and these are my stories. I've often been called a renaissance man, but in this episode of The Making of an Ordinary Spaceman, we talk to a true renaissance man, a gentleman so accomplished, you, you're just going to love what you hear. We welcome Chip Davis of Mannheim Steamroller. This episode of the podcast is a very special one for me, and if we go and and the theme that we have with our podcast is kind of the, what does it take to build someone who becomes an astronaut? What are the surrounding things? What, what are the, the pieces that go into that puzzle to allow someone to go to space? And that space exploration is the ultimate team sport. And so I'm very, very excited and very pleased to have one of my dear friends here with us today. You, you guys know who this man is. You know what he's accomplished, but I think there's a lot of stuff you don't know about him. So I'm welcoming Chip Davis to our podcast, the king of Mannheim steamroller fame. And uh, Chip, it's great to have you here. Thanks for being here. Yeah, it's always always good to see you too, Clay. And the first thing I want you to tell our listeners on our podcast is your recollection of the first time that we met. I think... You were in the space station. Oh. And I, I had a pair of drumsticks. <laughs> and I was over, actually, with Jim Kennedy was going around. We were doing those tours to promote NASA. Mm-hmm. We were in uh, Ames, Iowa, which I believe is your alma mater. Yes, sir. Iowa State University. Iowa State, <clears throat> where my daughter's graduating from right now. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> go Cyclones. That's it. So, uh yeah, I think uh, you had taken a pair of drumsticks of mine right. uh, up in space, and I had a pair on the ground with the crowd all out there, and I acted like I threw it, and you acted like you caught it. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> it was a pretty good little illusion. And then we th- I threw them back. Yeah. I remember throwing them back to you, and you caught them. That was really cool. I don't know how the heck you did that piece, but it was really cool. And the idea here was, and Chip didn't tell you, the, the beginning story was that when I was going to fly in space on the International Space Station, I'm all about Nebraska. I'm all about people from Nebraska, people who have contributed to Nebraska, what she stands for. So I was looking for people and looking for those people to give me items to fly in space. And when I reached out to Chip, the answer was pretty easy. Being a famous drummer, he uh, sent me autographed 
Drumsticks, autographed <laughs> drumsticks. And so I had those autographed drumsticks with me in space such that when we then had scheduled a video conference mm-hmm. from Orbit, we could do our little uh, activity with throwing the drumsticks at each other. So, so that's kind of how Chip and I first got uh, acquainted with one another. But I think there's some things you don't know about him, and I want to make sure that our audience does. And so the first thing I want to ask you to tell them about is someone named C.W. McCall. Oh, well, that's a, <laughs> that was another lifetime ago. <laughs> that's a breaker, breaker, one nine there story. Yes, sir. <laughs> yeah, I wrote all the uh, country music for C.W. McCall. We had 13 number one hits, and it was, it was a big thing back in the 70s and early yep. 80s. And how did you come to do that? Um, actually, Bill, who was the voice and wrote the lyrics of C.W. McCall, was an advertising client of mine. So I was a jingle writer and wrote jingles for Bozell and Jacobs, which is out here on, on the interstate. I, I don't know that they're still active as an agency. They may be. I mean, they had several offices, but I wrote the music for all of their various offices clients, like Black & Decker Drill. Mm-hmm. You know, And so then I used, since you can change the pitch of a drill, I used the drill for the melody. <laughs> you know, So I, I was doing things like along that line, writing jingles and and doing all that. And then the C.W. McCall thing popped up with uh, Old Home Bread. Right. And it was, you know, running commercials. And you probably remember they were on all the time. And uh, when Bill started getting really popular with all of that, we made our, made our first record. And it went number one country. And it sold 350,000 copies <laughs> out of the shoot. And I was a 27-year-old kid. <laughs> Going like, how did I fall into this? Yeah, <laughs> this is yeah, a pretty yeah. good deal. Absolutely. <laughs> so uh, yeah, it, uh, it 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 turned out to be a really good thing. We went on to write many many more hits. And um, Convoy, of course, was the biggest one. Right. And it was a seven million unit. Everybody yeah. knows that. I think everyone knows that one. Yeah. At least if you're you're my age. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know they've been running uh, the Convoy movie again regularly. Yes. Uh, on I don't know what one, one of the services, but I was stunned. I had the TV on, and all of a sudden, Convoy came up. <laughs> I kind of got goosebumps. It's like Breaker Breaker. One night, it's like, oh, oh man, that's a step into the past. <laughs> a good step <laughs> was a good step. Now, do you have any other famous jingles that would rival that? Do you have another one or two that are? No, I I mean I wrote stuff for Levi's, Lee Jeans, tennis shoe companies. But nothing that was like what happened with C.W. McCall. Ah, uh, okay. Um, one of the things that I love about Chip, and you just you just got a, a gleaning of that when he was talking there, is that this this guy's pretty talented in many 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 ways, and I'm a big steam guy. You know, most people like to talk about STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math. Well, I'm, I add the A for arts, and I call it STEAM. Oh, very cool. Because I think what guys like you do mm-hmm. is that part of the art, though, but it also covers the science, technology, engineering, and math. And the reason I say that is because uh, Chip using a drill and the different speeds of the drill to make different tones to put in the melody of a jingle is engineering, and it's physics. And when I used to sit down in band and play my trombone and drag my slide out and change the distance, I changed the tone, and that's physics too. And um, 
one of the things we're going to do here at the museum in the future is some people have painted pictures of me, believe it or not. I don't know why. Uh, one of them has a lot of red circles on it with a big dot in the middle. <laughs> oh, they think you're a Target supporter. <laughs> yeah, there you go. But I think that those are chemistry, right? Anytime you paint anything, you're dealing with chemistry. So I love steam. And so what I want to ask you about and would like these guys to know about is something you and I have chatted about and worked together with a little bit called ambiance yes. therapy. Right. So, yeah, Um Ambiance is a project that is really close to my heart. Um, it uh, it intermingles natural sounds on Earth with uh, music, mm-hmm. you know. So, uh, but music isn't the important part. It's it's that it's a, a combination of the two, uh, and the the ambient sounds. I've recorded them in uh, all four seasons here in Nebraska. Then I ran out of seasons. <laughs> So I started trying some other places. So we went to the Columbia River Gorge and we recorded Multnomah Falls. So I got like a really big waterfall. Then we went to the we went to the Pacific Ocean. And I recorded put we put microphones up on Haystack Rock and recorded the sound of waves splashing, where you'd get a pair of microphones on the rock and then the waves would roll in to another pair of mics. So now imagine that we're taking that and and. I'm putting these sounds primarily into uh, clinics, like Mayo Clinic has a lot of my stuff. Um, uh, the the ones down in uh, oh Lake Forest mm-hmm. uh, has has a lot of my stuff, and so now the we have ceiling mounted uh, speakers. So imagine a patient laying there on their back, and all of a sudden a wave crests at your feet and then it rolls right through your head <laughs> and it's a cool it's a really cool experience because you're really there mm-hmm. i've got them like out in my forest in in north omaha where i've got birds singing different things and they come from all different parts of the woods and you know so i you know that, that the whole purpose of it is distraction for uh when you're in a medical circumstance and uh, it helps cover up the sound out in the hallway of nurses you know chatting and bumping into things and making noises and Mm -hmm. so it's there to help calm everything down and uh we discovered that it really helps quite a bit uh on the uh, the how how well the medications work and then you and i have talked about its potential use with post-traumatic stress disorder those kind Mm -hmm. of things where you can put someone in a place to take them away yes And, and have you have you made any progress in that direction? No, not really. Uh, in, in the way I wanted to do that was with uh, our soldiers coming back from Iraq. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think they, ha- they employ something maybe they call cool-down rooms. I'm not entirely sure if that's correct. But I, that's one of the places I wanted to get it. And then I thought, I'm going over to Iraq and install that, this myself. And then I thought, no, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can hire people to do that. <laughs> But the other i the other the other aspect of this that is really intriguing to me, having been um, a long duration flyer in outer space, is the consideration that we want to send humans to Mars someday. Yes, and that trip to Mars is going to be at best six to nine months just to get there, mm-hmm. and then if you wait for the planets to align to give you six to nine months to come home. 
that means you're going to stay on the Martian surface for a good long period, maybe 9 to 12 months. So we're talking about a mission that's going to take upwards of two to three, maybe even longer years. Yeah. And my idea, and we'll, we'll let you tell what you did with NASA, but I wanted to get Chip's stuff, his ambiance therapy, onto the space station because I firmly believe that that kind of technology and that kind of capability would help astronauts and and yeah we don't typically deal with issues like our soldiers do but i'm thinking more long term and then combining that Mm -hmm. with virtual reality right which we've got to to, so go ahead and tell what you did well we've got we have virtual reality that ties into the ambiance Uh, we took a uh, a drone with six cameras on it and flew it over my woods and flew it all around the place and then that can come through the uh, virtual reality goggles. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but back on, at, at the Mars stopover, uh, I made a version of ambiance called uh, Touchstone. And the purpose of that was for uh, to go through the seasonal changes and all the various sounds that we've recorded for several years to help the astronauts that are there on the surface of Mars to when they want to they can have a time to, to cool down and get a little taste of Earth, which is why I called it Touchstone. That's great, and and I think it's a brilliant idea. Um, I'm here to help you in any way I can. I don't have much influence at NASA, but uh, uh, I just think that that long journey, because what people don't understand about space travel is every single day that I went around the Earth, every 90, mm-hmm. once every 90 minutes, I could float to a window. Yeah. And I could look, my windows back then all looked at the earth, but I could look at the earth or I could go to the Russian segment where they had two side windows in their sleep stations and I could Mm -hmm. look out to the horizon of the earth. And that was a huge psychological impact for me, especially on days when I was feeling homesick Mm -hmm. and I would go to the side windows and I would wait for sunrise. Oh, yeah. And I'd put my head against the glass because... Once the sun came up, just like on Earth, you could feel Feel the the warmth of the sun. Mm -hmm. And I would close my eyes and imagine I was in Houston on my back patio, laying on a lounge chair, Mm -hmm. soaking up the sun's rays. And that was hugely beneficial to me psychologically. I'm sure. So I think this idea, at the very minimum, what you're doing now with ambiance is a great thing for space, and then if you begin to combine it with the right virtual reality stuff mm-hmm. uh, and you're on your way to Mars, you're not going to be able to look at the Earth every orbit. You know, mm-hmm. the first three days you'll see it there, but it's getting smaller yeah. and smaller and smaller until when you're about a week out, you won't be able to see it except that pinpoint dot that looks like a star, and that's what you're going to get. Until you travel that six to nine months and see the red planet up close. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think it's brilliant. Again, I want to help you do something with that if we can figure it out. Hey, they're flying a helicopter on Mars. Yes, they are. I just saw, I was mm-hmm. watching that on one of the news feeds. And they named the area where it flew, they named it uh, Wright Brothers Field oh, on yes, Mars. Oh, yes, yes. And they sent some cloth, didn't they, from yes, Kitty from Hawk? Yes, from the original Wright Flyer. Mm-hmm. And they also... Uh, the Federal Administration, Aviation Administration, gave them a ICAO identifier called IGY for Ingenuity. Oh, nice. Which is pretty cool. Very. So the, we've flown 
<laughs> on two planets now. Yeah. Uh, it took us a while, but hopefully when we get to a lunar base, and, and this technology could also help uh, a small cadre of people living on the moon, mm-hmm. right? Even though they're able to look back and see the whole beautiful planet, and maybe that helps them, but imagine if they could do it while having uh, sounds play from the forest or waterfalls yes. or waves coming in. So, so we have uh, slipped the surly bonds of Earth. And Chip Davis <laughs> is leading the way. <laughs> so, Chip, there's another thing that I think is really cool about your work. And, and by the way, everyone should know that every Christmas, Mannheim Steamroller flies to the front of everyone's listening list. And, of course, Chip is a huge, huge facet of Mannheim Steamroller, and we're all grateful for that. Uh but you don't know his interest in astronomy. Oh, yes. Definitely have an interest in astronomy. So most of us would look over here to my little itty-bitty telescope that I looked through when I was a kid in my backyard in Ashland, Nebraska. And I thought that was pretty cool. Yes, it is. It <laughs> but was. I, think, I think what you have is way cooler. <laughs> it's a big telescope. How big? <clears throat> it's a 14-inch uh, which then only next size bigger is a 16. And a 16 probably wouldn't fit in my, uh, I have a dome, which mm-hmm. you've seen, and that is uh, outfitted with surround music. And it's all, it's all operated uh, by voice technology. And so you can really see some stuff there. You can even tell the telescope to go find Regulus and it'll go find it. <laughs> and then I have it come up on four flat screens. So people sitting around the perimeter all have a screen available. You can get eight people in there at once. Now, who's the most famous person you've had inside well, your you? Well, I'm sorry. <laughs> Second most famous person. See, I haven't been there at night yet. Oh, yeah. You know, we have to do that where we go. That's right. Perhaps have, you know, an, uh, some cow, eat some cow. Eat some cow. Yeah. And then retire to the, uh, observatory. To the observatory. Yeah. <laughs> That's not a bad idea. That sounds like a plan to me. Uh, I'll have my yeah. people contact your people. Yeah, right. <laughs> Oh, then they'll have to talk to Mary. Oh, Mary. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, Mary. I was just saying it. I love silly. Mary. Come yeah, on. I everybody love Mary. loves Mary. There's something about Mary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, who who have you had? Have you had a lot of people into your observatory? To anybody special? Uh, I'm trying to think. Well, Bill Nye, the science guy, for I, example. I, no, I don't know Bill, but. Uh, uh, but I've had, um, you know, several people from the community that are, you know, more upstanding kind of kind of folks. That mm-hmm. and uh, I had my agent from William Morris come out for my 70th birthday, and my business partner and all the tours and their wives. And you know, we had a I had about uh, maybe 50 or so people. We did a cookout, and then we took with the golf carts. We took eight people at a time up to the observatory, and then that's when we had it set up so that it was tracking the moon, and the moon is still, like, probably the most startling object. Yes, And, uh, I mean, with this telescope, as you all can imagine, you can see into the craters. You can see the um, shadows of the craters, Mm -hmm. and uh, it's it's an amazing-looking thing to see. So that's, you know, the people that I took up there, a lot of them were business associates that were uh, in Nebraska for my birthday party. Very cool. Uh, when I was at Hastings, uh, 
the Sackleburn Observatory has a, I believe it's, I don't know if it's 14-inch or not. I can't remember. It's been too long. But one of my projects in astronomy class was to try to photograph the Orion Nebula. Oh. And the telescope had a tracking system, and it mm-hmm. had a camera mounting system and all that, but I could never figure out exactly uh, how to make the tracking fine-tuned down mm-hmm. such that when I photographed the nebula, it always was still a little, a little blurry. blurry. Yeah. yeah, And that was always a bummer to me because I was really excited to capture it, or I wanted to capture it, and I did. It's just not a very high quality. Yeah, I've, I've got this uh, with this new system I've got. I have actually a color video camera, and we can shoot color video of different objects. But really, like I say, the moon is the only the only really usable one although the sun is quite good too mm-hmm. and there's a way to do that as you go at night <laughs> you've been hanging out with me way too long because i i use that same joke oh you do <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> maybe we discussed that over cow one time <laughs> so how did you become so interested in space and astronomy uh, okay so i grew up in a little farm town of 500 people in ohio and my grandfather was fascinated with the sky and um, so he would take me out into the countryside and point up to different constellations and told me what they were. And so I got interested, really, as a, as a little kid. And he bought me my first telescope when I was 10 years old. It was a, a model of Mount Palomar. Oh, wow. And uh, it was made out of Palomar, in fact. <laughs> <laughs> I can't help myself. <laughs> Nobody else seems to be able to help me either. <laughs> well... There's, there's another thing that I want everyone to know about you, and I'll, I'll give the lead-in because I know you can explain it way better than I, but you attended a space shuttle launch, sort of, mm-hmm. if I remember the story right. I have been to a couple, several. Yeah, but this one was special in that you had some access granted for some... Oh, I was in Houston. Or Dallas. Is that the one where you're talking about? No, this is when you actually went to the Cape. Oh, when I went, we went Banana Creek? And you were, but you were going to make uh, the music of the spheres. Yes. And tell them about that project what, when you uh, recorded. Well, I recorded the, the launch. Uh, we recorded several actually till we got the right one. That's not kind of. It's <laughs> not one of those. It's not one of those things that you go like, "Hey, we got a we got a level on it now. Can you back up and do one for real?" <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so uh, yeah, we got some really good stuff, and that's quite a museum there too with that uh, Saturn V. Yes, it's going above everything. Been a few banquets at that. That's I've had a big interest in it. Like I say, since I was a kid, and, and it's really been cool for me to. Uh, become acquainted with you and the things that you're doing. Uh, we had had, Chip and I had hoped at one time to uh, get his ambiance onto the International Space Station. Mm-hmm. And Chip was way ahead of me in that um, he had, you'd put it on an iPhone, right? Yeah, well, no, not quite. Um, this was for a presentation with Jeff Davis down at NASA headquarters. And he was the head of the science division at the time at NASA in Houston. So I, first time I went, I took an ATS, which is about that big, that does has four-channel amplifiers and all this stuff in it. Everything's self-contained, you know, touch screen, whole nine yards. Got all these type of sounds that I was saying about nature and all those things. And I took it down, and um, 
Jeff said, this is really a cool idea. How much does it weigh? I said, 27 pounds. He goes, can't take 27 pounds in space. <laughs> so I said, okay, well, uh, let me go f- figure that out. They took me. I'm more than 27 <laughs> pounds. <laughs> they needed a driver. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so um, I went and I thought about it. There's a process called binaural that is uh, binaural isn't stereo it's beyond stereo uh, but it's to address the your two ears and uh, there is a head which I, I think I showed you an ambiance yes it looks like a human head the microphones are inside the ears ear canals and then I can take these four channel recordings or more and we set it up in our studio we put the head in the middle and then we record it back to binaural. So when you're listening on a pair of headphones on the space station or somewhere, a bird can fly right through your head. I mean, it's, it's uncanny how real it is. <laughs> so that's what we were kind of doing with this binaural uh, wow. technology. It's, uh, I think it was all pretty much German. It was a Neumann head. And do you have anything going on now that you'd like to share with the folks listening today? Um, really, um, more like uh, been just communi- uh, We're start- We're promoting exotic spaces, which is uh, a new CD of mine. It's probably about a year old, and and with the uh, climate out there, with uh, pandemic and with everything, we kind of held the release back. But exotic spaces is uh, about exotic spaces, and uh, one of my favorite ones is uh, there is one about space. And I used a, the sound of Telstar going across from left to right mm-hmm. as like the pulse for one of those pieces. And then um, another one that's a favorite is I recorded, uh, I have uh, hydrophones that are Navy grade. They're uh, flat from one hertz to 100,000. I have a pair of those and I put those down in the ocean uh, over in Hawaii and I recorded whales uh-huh. and and uh, that's oh, cool. Then I discuss. This is this is going to sound like a pun coming from me, but <laughs> it's not. Another one. They're in the key of C, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but they really are. They they sing in. They, they they their their melody is in the key of C. So so it made it really easy for me because I didn't have to use any of the black keys. I could just do it on all uh, white. <laughs> you should you should call it the key of S E A. I could. Yep. <laughs> that's too <awesome>. late <laughs> too late oh man see you need you need me on your staff oh, that's right and then i could go to hawaii with you and mm-hmm. i could go to the cape with you and i could go yeah <laughs> I, that's a great idea <laughs> we'll find lots of places to eat cow <laughs> that's exactly right <laughs> you've noticed a theme here in this cow deal nope, no theme <laughs> <clears throat> so there's one final aspect mm-hmm. of this amazing guy sitting with me today that i'm talking to and uh, I'm an author, and yep. I've, I've written two children's books. I've written a memoir, and I wrote a question and answer book. But uh, I would like you to tell our listeners about your puppies mm-hmm. <laughs> and <clears throat> your writing skills. Um, I only have one puppy now. Oh, only one? I'm sorry. Yeah, the younger one, uh, something happened to him, and he passed away. Oh. But uh, I've got still have Satie, who is... Uh, 240 pounds or something. He's a white wolf, and uh, he's a big boy. Uh, but I have him, and then I have he. He plays with ho- my two horses. 
he particularly likes the younger one who's about the same age as him, which is, I think they're both 12. And they run and play in the fields together and stuff. And it, it caused me to wonder what are they thinking about when they're out there running around. <laughs> and um, so we made up uh, some stories, and I, I, I came up with all, all the ideas for the different chapters, and then I hired a real book writer to write it into prose so that we could, so you could read it. And then it's, it's a young adult mm-hmm. uh, is what it's geared for. And the title? It's called The Wolf and the Warlander because uh, the horse is a Warlander breed. It's, you know, I mean, the guy is... Uh, a renaissance man. And, I'm not uh, that old. Oh, no. Oh, <laughs> yeah. We got to have another name for that, right? <laughs> renaissance man. It, it sounds cool, but I, I'm totally with you there. And then uh, you, you dabble in the kitchen, too? Absolutely. Yep. I think, I, I, yeah, I def, definitely dabble in the kitchen. I think I've sent some things to you. Yes, you have. Past. I think your wife likes some of the things I <laughs> I think she likes all the things you send us, and I mean, you send us some CDs, and you send us some kitchen stuff, and it's all good. Bacon of the month, I recall. Oh yeah, the bacon. Well, see, that's been gone for a while, but yeah, yeah. bacon of the month. If you've never been in the bacon of the month club, you should check into it because it's like pretty (laughs) awesome. (laughs) Every 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 month, this company in Ann Arbor, where I went to college, uh, Zingerman's sends. If you sign up for this. They send you a pound of bacon from all boutique suppliers around the United States. So you're getting a different take on what bacon is maybe in the south versus in the mm-hmm. west or, you know, different places. So bacon of the month is a definite cool thing. <laughs> and everybody loves bacon. And that's the truth. <laughs> right. I like bacon-wrapped bacon. <laughs> bacon-wrapped cow is good. Bacon-wrapped cow is good. Yeah, you can't beat that bacon-wrapped mm-hmm. shrimp and scallops. Oh, yeah. It's all good. So, as we as we wrap up here, Chip, I want to, I'm, I'm going to do a little, I guess it's a monologue sort of, kind of, in that what we hope to do with our podcast is to, well, let me back up. My memoir's entitled The Ordinary Spaceman. Yes, I've got it. And I truly believe I am the ordinary spaceman because... I was born in Omaha and raised right here in Ashland where we're sitting. Mm -hmm. And now we're sitting amongst memorabilia that, by the way, thank you, Chip helped bring uh, this amazing spacesuit, my Russian Sokol spacesuit, he helped bring that to the museum. And amongst all this stuff, it makes me truly appreciate my small town upbringing and the folks who have helped to build this ordinary spaceman. But the building, the construction of the Ordinary Space Bank continues to, to go, mm-hmm. right? As long as I'm around, I hope to be growing. And what I want the podcast people to know today is that you are another person that is, that is helping me grow. And my relationship with you, my meeting you for the first time and throwing drumsticks at you. <laughs> I guess we have to be careful how we say that. I threw <laughs> drumsticks sticks at Chip Davis. But all these things that we've uh, experienced together that we're talking about here on the podcast that maybe will become, maybe come to fruition in some form in the future, um, that has all helped me to grow and to continue to share 
what I know about space with people like you who have a love for space mm-hmm. and perhaps we can do more great things. I want to, I just want to say thank you for that. Oh, I appreciate I, you very much. Well, I appreciate the opportunity because as, as you know, I've been saying, I've been in, involved with it since I was a kid and first looking up at the stars. I wrote a piece for my grandfather because they, I wrote the seven stars of the big dipper on seven fresh air seven. Mm-hmm. And, um, so then, of course, my daughter pointed out to me there's actually eight stars in a Big Dipper. <laughs> the Alcorn Mizar appears to be one, but it's actually a double star. <laughs> Damn details. Oh, man, those kids. I hate, yeah, I know. They're so rude. And now she's getting married. <laughs> I can't believe it. Uh, and also, I think, uh, let's see if I can get back. The, the ideas that you've come up with and the fact that you love space, you and I share that. We love space, and now you may have the opportunity to go to space. Have you thought about this? I have. And? I I don't know. I don't know if I'm quite there yet. Well, what's keeping you? I mean, do you have what? Do you have any inhibitions or any uh, constraints that are keeping you from that, or do you need a consultant who can maybe go with you? Sure. <laughs> if I'm going, you're going. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm. I don't know if I'm quite that. Uh, you know, at my age, I'm not as adventuresome as I used to be, uh, and I, I that, that could have a little bit to play in it there. If you if you had the opportunity. Would you prefer a Virgin Galactic-like trip that would be more like what Alan Shepard did in 61 in that you'd get five to six minutes in in microgravity, Mm -hmm. in zero gravity, let's say, and then you'd ride his rocket up and his plane back down? Or I've heard and read recently a lot about proposed space hotels. Yes. Bob Bigelow, I think, was talking that. He he was, and... I'm not sure what he's doing now, but there are actually other players that are starting to come in, uh-huh. and uh, there's talk of a luxury hotel in space where you could go and maybe spend a few days. And then there's Elon Musk right. and SpaceX and their willingness to carry this crew of four called the Inspiration Four. Mm-hmm. You heard about that yeah. one? And they're going to go up, and they're just going to go around Earth for a while mm-hmm. and come back. So which ones of those appeal to you the most? Or, or are they all the same? Um, mahogany's. <laughs> and with that, Chip and I just may retire and eat some cow. Thanks, Ooh. Chip. Thanks for being with us today, you man. Bet, it's, it's awesome. It's always good to see you. Appreciate it. Always good to see you, and I appreciate you very, very much. Thank you. Thank you. Please rate, review, follow, and subscribe, as it helps others find my podcast. Thank you for listening. And a special thank you to my dear friend Chip Davis of Mannheim Steamroller fame for the use of his talents and music. A Hoda Media Production. <laughs> <laughs>